We should totally start recording now. Oh. And you can hear the sound in the background. What sound? What sound? That's not the sound of a vibrator. That's the sound <laughs> of my Nespresso machine. What a funny you get mad. Like a drum, you get mad, you know. I'm a little bit not sure Okay, that vibrator has stopped. That coffee has vibrated out. So, so, so what, is, so what is this Alexa. episode about? It's about vibrators. Is it? Um, I think it, we, we can talk about vibration. Like, you know, like all kinds of feelings and emotions and state of mind okay. is a form of vibration. Uh, oh my God, I'm really high. You're really high. You're really high. You know? In the last episode, even though we said that we upgraded our microphones, mm-hmm. but unfortunately... Yes. So guys, <laughs> last episode, you know, we told you that we had new mics, right? And then you should, you, you could hear uh, like an improvement in the yeah. sound quality. But if you didn't hear the improvement in sound quality, it's n- there's nothing wrong with your ears. It's because we were being very stupid. We had the new mics. We were talking in the new mics all along throughout the whole episode, but we didn't switch the input source to the mic. <laughs> now is the time for the quang, quang, quang. Yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Oh my goodness. Guys, we had a little bit of a technical hiccup. Yeah, we, we're still not very professional at this, but we will yeah. get better yeah. over time. Actually, Rebecca, you were a professional radio DJ, what? Uh, I was a part-time DJ. <laughs> I wouldn't say I was professional, you know. I oh. don't... I, yeah, I don't know how, how good I was at it, but I really enjoyed myself. And I did get better over time. I heard a few of your episodes. I think you were brilliant as a DJ. Really? Yeah. And then you hosted mm. in Chinese, right? That was, I think, yeah. the difficulty level is very high. Yeah, but the ridiculous thing is, how did I even get the job? As in, like, when I started, it was really bad. Oh, so how did you get I'm the very job? very blessed. How did I get the job was because right, I had my cafe and then I have this friend called Wei Tong and Wei Tong was a, a radio, he was a full-time DJ at Yiling Ling Sun, mm. 100.3 mm. FM. So at that time, he, he got me on his show because mm. he wanted to talk about my cafe. Mm. So we did an interview once, I think. And then I can't remember, maybe a few months later, he called me and he said, eh, do you want to host a radio show with me on Yi Ling Ling San? Then I was like, huh, why? Why would you ask me? You know, like, I have never done this before and mm. I'm not good at talking. Mm. Yeah, so why would you ask me? And I still don't know until today, <laughs> like, why he asked me. But anyway, I said yes, because I always wanted to do this radio thing. I always was very attracted to it. So I did mm. it. And mm. actually... We hosted together at first, but eventually he let me do it alone. So it became my own show. I think right. the plan was always to let me have my own show. Mm. So at first he kind of accompanied me. And then when I got more confident, he just let me do it alone. Mm. And it was the most amazing two years, really. Because mm. my show was on Saturday nights. And it was from 10 p.m. to 12 a.m. And I could... So it's a very A bit, la, a bit. La. So right. Yeah. 
And mm. then I could play any music that I wanted. Wow. It was like a no man's land at that time. Wow. Yeah, it was magical. I see. Yeah, but eventually I think they realized that what what kind of music are you playing? <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, I was playing yeah. poetry on radio, on Chinese oh. radio. I was playing English poetry on Chinese radio. Right. And but I, you know what? It's okay. You can be totally lengmen with our song choices on our podcast. We can yeah. do whatever the heck we want. Oh God, it's really amazing because we are we are hosting a radio show now. Yes, sort of, la, but not live, la, not live. Yeah, not live. Like I guess eventually there'll be technology. Yeah, I mean we can do live, right? There's Facebook. Actually, live. there is technology where you can do live cast. Yeah, and people can send in their messages. Yes, you can. But you know, we need to build out about our audience space first, lah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get. Yeah, now you live cast like nobody is gonna tune in one. <laughs> Very sad. Hey, so so so, what are we gonna talk about today? We're gonna talk about mental health. Uh, yeah, we are mental wellness. Uh, yes. It's a it's a topic that's very close to our hearts. Yes. Yeah. And also a topic which is quite taboo. I mean, very few people, if let's say they are mentally not well, mm. very few people will want to talk about it. I think thankfully, it is a lot less taboo today. If mm. 10, years ago, 10 years ago, you were having depression, right? You really had nobody to talk to. Mm-hmm. Right? I mm-hmm. still remember 10 years ago. Because 10 years ago, I had depression. Mm. And I thought I was crazy. I didn't tell a soul, actually. So, yeah, so let's talk about our own experiences. We are not experts at this. We're just mm-hmm. sharing. And hopefully, I don't know, if you're listening to this, you feel a little bit less alone. Um, it's a very difficult to topic, uh, difficult topic to talk about, I think. Mm. Yeah, but being honest helps, you know, in de-stigmatizing. De- mm. I guess we are experts in our own way, as in we kind of lived through and we experienced it ourselves. Yeah. So, so that's what we want to offer you today by sharing um, transparently our experiences of our own, you know, episodes with mental wellness or, you know, lack of it, lah, mm. you know, at certain points of our life. Lah. Mm. So, uh, Rebecca, as usual, would you like to talk about, you know, your maybe 10 years ago when you you were not really well mentally. I mean, what happened? What led to it? And how did you get out of it? Um, so 10 years ago, I... Let me think. Is it 10 years ago? It's actually 12 years ago. Mm. So I quit school four times, right? Mm. <laughs> and then basically after that, one day I was having lunch with my mom. It was a perfectly normal day. And suddenly, I still remember it was at Crystal Jade in Taka, in Nian City. Mm. I think there used to be a crystal jade there. They are still there. Is it still there? Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 they're still there. So it was a perfectly normal day and suddenly I felt like I was going to die. Uh, and I was blacking out. And I felt this terror that I, can't, that, that I can't explain. And I just felt very, 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 very scared. So I told my mom like, oh, we really need to get out here. So immediately we took a cab and then we went home. Mm. When I went home, I went to bed. And when I woke up, right, oh my God, like I fell into the deepest depression ever. Mm. Instantly, like overnight. And I didn't even know there was depression. And I didn't know that what happened at Crystal Jade was a panic attack. Mm. Um, yeah, and from then on, basically for a few years, I had very, very bad anxiety attacks. Mm. And then I had really bad depression for a couple of years for a while and then I had 
like a moderate kind of depression. Like it just never went away for many years, for eight to ten years. Eight mm. years. Yeah. So it was a very, very long journey. But I always say nowadays that it's the best thing that happened to me. Mm. Okay, I've got a couple of questions for you. My first question is, now looking back, right, do you know what triggered it in uh, Crystal Jade? There wasn't an incident that triggered it mm. on that specific day, mm. right? It was just building up. So over the years, I have been trying to understand what is what is mental health, right? What's depression? And whether there's, there, there is a root cause. Mm. So I have always been trying to figure out what was it that triggered or caused me to, to get into that state. And I think it's always a combination of a lot of factors, mm. right? But for me, right, um, quitting school four times gave me a lot of pressure, a mm. lot of stress. It was so massive that maybe it just created a breakdown. Mm. But it was only when I was depressed, right, that I really faced myself, that I realized that I had so many problems. Because depression forces you to be naked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not literally, but mm -hmm. naked psychologically, right? You really have to be fucking honest with yourself. You have to confront all the issues, right? Yes. You don't know why. You don't know why you have to be fucking honest with yourself, but you have to. Because right, you just know in yourself that if you are not honest with yourself, you can never recover. Mm -hmm. There are issues that, that, that's inside. And mm -hmm. if you don't bring them to the surface, right, you, I don't know, instinctively, I just knew that I cannot ever get better if mm -hmm. I don't face up. Yeah, so a lot of issues like, I, for example, the lack of self-love. Mm. Um, low, what is that? Inferiority complex? Low, low self-esteem. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, all these things. So a lot of issues came to the surface in over the years. Like, that's why I, th I say that it's the best thing that happened to me. If not, right, I would still be a very, very selfish, shallow, unevolved person. Not that I'm evolved now, but it set me on the path. Right. So, okay. So, you know, when you say that, when you look back, likewise for me, when I look back at my episode, my meltdown, which I will share later, mm. it it's become a pivotal point in my life and I celebrate it because I can see very clearly that it's yeah. um it's the result the result of that is that I've become a different person right right or out of necessity basically because I couldn't survive in that old version of myself mm -hmm. that's what led to that breakdown and meltdown right so I, my question to you then is that you know that work that eight years ten years twelve years of work that you did what was the recovery process like did you seek treatment were you on medication what were the tools and what kind of how did you evolve and get out of that wow uh so I never saw a psychiatrist I never saw even like a therapist or anything hmm. because twelve years ago um actually my mom was seeing a psychiatrist hmm. and actually that day right, I was with her. Um, at Nian City because she was having her psychiatrist appointment. Mm -hmm. So I actually went into the office with her. Mm. So after that, I thought, was, it, was that a trigger? Because I was affected by my mom's condition. She had a lot of, uh, she had anxiety, disorder and depression. This was the same day as the Crystal Jade Day. Yeah, that was the same day. So I always thought, was that the trigger? Mm. I don't really know. But anyway, I never saw a therapist because I didn't want to take medication. Firstly, mm. I, I thought, uh, firstly, there was the stigma of medication. I thought that if I took medication, I am officially crazy. 
<laughs> and then yep. suddenly I knew about the side effects of medication for mm. looking at my mom. Mm. And then thirdly, I wanted to depend on myself. Right. Somehow I knew that there were issues within me, right? So I knew that if I could resolve these things, I might be able to get out of it myself. Mm-hmm. So I never took a single medication. And over the years, a lot of things helped me. And it was like, but you take 10 steps, you will move back five steps, lah, that kind. Mm. Yeah. So it was a very long recovery. <clears throat> but some of the things that helped was meeting good friends. Mm-hmm. Because when I was having depression, I had lost contact with my friends. Because I quit school four times. I was totally isolated. Mm. And then over the years, when I started the cafe, I reconnected with my friends. I think that was really important. Mm. Mm. And a lot of things, a lot of things, like I said, um, facing up to myself, being honest, mm-hmm. trying to be real. So would you say that a lot of the um, recovery process was based on the deep internal work that you did on yourself? Yeah, definitely. Mm. There was no external work to do because mm-hmm. I would go running because mm-hmm. they say running is good for your mental health, right? Mm. But running is a crutch. Mm-hmm. Clutch or crutch? Crutch, right? Mm. <laughs> a crutch, not a clutch. A clutch is a clutch. It is a tool, but it's external. So the thing about um, mental illness I have realized is that you can depend on this kind of tools but it's not the final solution mm-hmm. you need to do the inner work and inner work is <laughs> inner work is something that you have to do on your own nobody else can help you yeah yeah and it's, it takes time mm-hmm. and one thing that I really really want to say right, is that Basically, this was the idea that helped me to get out of my anxiety disorder. Mm. Mm. So for many years, right, even up to a few years ago, actually, I was still having like panic attacks. Mm. And I hated it. Because mm. it's so disruptive. It is. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, you know, like when you have a ba- very, very bad panic attack, it's really scary. Yeah. You feel like you're going to die. Yeah. Panic Literally. is an understatement. You feel like you're going crazy, like you are mm. can't control your mind at all. Mm. So anyway, I was, I was, I couldn't get better. You know, I was like at a plateau mm-hmm. until I saw this website. Actually, it's called anxietynomore.co.uk, mm. and I always ask people to go and look at it. Mm. Basically, this guy who created this website. Uh, he had anxiety and panic attacks for like a decade. Mm. Until one day he realized that he was trying so desperately to get well over 10 years. Every day he was battling and he was at war with himself, right? Trying to get better desperately. Until one day he realized that that is the exact thing that is fueling his anxiety. Mm-hmm. So his revelation was that when you have uh, panic attacks, right? It's not that you're crazy. Mm-hmm. You're just, your mind is just stressed. It is. It's as simple as that. It's just yeah. like, kind of like, it's tired. It's too tired. Mm-hmm. It's not that you are a broken, you're broken goods. It's not. Mm-hmm. Your mental health is still there. 
Mm-hmm. Right? It's just that at the moment, your mind is so stressed. How can it be okay? Mm-hmm. And when you desperately try to be better, right? That is the exact thing that makes you unable to get well. Yeah, my, my, take, my take on anxiety is that, so you said that the guy realized that he was trying so desperately to be better, right? So that means that he didn't like where he was, right? He was resisting something. He was resisting the way he felt. He was resisting the way he felt that was brought by a thought, right? Or thinking pattern. And it is the resistance towards this emotion or the feeling that you're trying to get rid of, which is to get better, that is causing the anxiety. Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I don't think that... I don't think that, and uh, how should I put it? If you have really serious um, anxiety, right? Mm. And then you try to be okay with anxiety, it doesn't mean that you will be cured immediately. Mm. But it takes the stress off your mind. Mm. And then your mind has a chance to heal. Mm-hmm. Without the stress, it has a chance to heal. So it is counterproductive to want desperately to get better. Yeah, you can't force it. Yeah, the only way to counter your anxiety is to accept that it's here and to just let it pass because anxiety will always pass. Mm -hmm. And the more you do that, right, the more your mind has a chance to not be stressed and heal. And over time, as you see the improvement, right, it will get better and better. Yeah. The first step is always to begin with awareness to know what is causing it, why you're like that. Oh, this is an anxiety attack. Like when you first had your panic attack, you didn't even know it was a panic attack, right? So being able to label it and know what the heck it is, is already a big step, right? Then beyond that, the next step is acceptance, right? You don't resist or fight it. You have to be at peace with the, okay, I'm anxious. Okay, I'm feeling this way. That's when you have the space and you can do the work to get better. Correct. I think that works the same for depression also. Mm. Um, maybe not the really serious clinical depression. Maybe mm-hmm. that one requires medication. Mm-hmm. But I think for a lot of people, right, if you are able to really accept that you're having a bad day, you're having a fucking bad day, mm. and be okay that it will eventually yes. pass. Yeah. I mean, life isn't all unicorns and rainbows and roses every day. Yeah. So I guess when someone looks at you, right... <laughs> Do they think that your life is all like, ah? Uh, Who, you mean me as in me, me? You, yeah. Um, No, because I wear my emotions and my scars on my sleeve. Really? Right? Yeah, I mean, I shared my, my story wholeheartedly. I felt like, you know, when I was recovering from my um, episode, I, after I emerged from my bunny cave, I shared my story with everybody. And um, I wasn't, I didn't feel like it was something that was embarrassing to share or that it defined me. So I share it. So the thing is, uh, I think people um, know that when I'm high, but generally I'm a very optimistic, very positive person. I'm, people think that I'm very well put together. Yeah. But when I'm like suffering and I'm defeated and that five, six years ago when I had that massive meltdown for six months, be oh, everyone knew about it when I, I kind of came out and then I shared my story. Everyone knew that I had a meltdown. So there was never a moment where you were scared to talk about it? Never, mm. never, because I, um, well, when I was doing the recovery work, when I was so defeated in the first two to three months and I had no spare bandwidth to do anything other than to take care of myself and to get better and get plenty of rest mm-hmm. and to see the psychotherapist three times a week and while I was on medication and all that, getting a lot of sleep, 
Yeah. I had no bandwidth to, to talk to anybody, basically. But once I kind of got out of the woods and, you know, after six months and, you know, the recovery process is, I'm still recovering from it. I don't think that my recovery will ever end, okay. right? It's Why, a do con- Why do you say that? Because I feel that um, I'm recovering not necessarily from the meltdown or the burnout, you know, mm. or the episode. I'm recovering from my old patterns of behavior. Mm. My old version of myself, which is version maybe like a 1.0 or a 1.1. But and now I feel like I'm a version. To, yeah. Sorry? No, I just wanted to say that's not something that's easy to move away from. Because it's still you, right? It's such a deeply rooted part of you. Yeah. So I, I guess for me, there are, but there are parts that I don't want to change, right? But there are parts that I know I want to change. I, when I look and examine and I really, really am honest with myself, these are the things that were driving certain behavior or patterns of living la, that mm-hmm. ultimately led to my downfall la, six years ago, you know? So, so what exactly happened? What exactly happened was um, I had a massive meltdown Mm -hmm. Uh, when I was holidaying with my friends in New York. Wow. I was on fucking vacation, right? (laughs) It's always this kind of moments, you know, when everything is okay. Yeah. So outwardly, outwardly, and even at that time when I checked in with myself, inwardly, I felt that everything was going super well. Everything in my world was unicorns and roses (laughs) and rainbows. Okay? So that shows how fucked up my perception was. Like, like in touch with yourself. At I all. wasn't. I totally read all the wrong signs, and I was paying attention to the wrong things. I had totally wrong priorities. That was why when I measured my success, I was fucking successful. Mm. But those were the wrong priorities, and those were the wrong metrics, and I was measuring them the wrong way. So basically, money was rolling in. Right, I was starting like a third and fourth business. You know, I had investors coming in. We were doing panoramic imaging at that time, mm. and that was even before Google uh, panoramas were like you know uh, in vogue. Right, so we were the we had a lot of business opportunities. People wanted to invest. One people wanted to you know uh, open up branches and our brand in China and other countries. So I was very busy speaking to. Um, uh, investors, money was coming in. Um, I was in my prime, you know. Um, I was enjoying my work a lot, lest you think I was miserable. I wasn't, you know. I was everywhere. I was going to events. I was shopping. It I was a lot, huh? It sounds like a lot, you know. Was it going- sounds like a lot going on, right? Yeah. But like yeah, my old version of me was that I wanted more and more and more. And what comes after more, more, more is more, more, more. And there was no fucking you don't know end. Minimalism, right? I didn't know that. Oh my god! If you look at, you know, now I have. Uh, when I went traveling last time, right? Uh-huh. I will go into a shoe boutique. Um, my favorite brand is called Alfredo Bannister, and it's in Japan, right? So whenever I go to Japan, I will go to that shop. I will. I wouldn't leave that place without twenty pairs of shoes. Huh? Yeah. And I would buy so many things that when I come back and land in Singapore, Changi Airport, I will get stopped and I will get taxed because the guy will think that I'm a wholesaler wow. or like I'm bringing goods back to sell. Wow. So water shopping I was so addicted to this kind of like lifestyle. Fast lane. Fast lane. And I was like, yeah. you know, killing it. You know, I was like driving the sports car and I was like, I, I didn't even have enough space for the things and the stuff in my life that I had to get a warehouse, <laughs> right? To stock all my shoes up till now. There are a lot of pairs of shoes in my storeroom, in my store mm. warehouse that I have not worn a single time. 
You know, that was the old me, right? So I was live in a fast lane, more, 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 very driven, wanting more, 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 go, 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 do, 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 you know, sell, 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 you know, but very happy, very, very happy. Also, that's what I told myself. So basically, at that point in time, I kept falling ill every two to three months. I I, I was like a, a, um, a sick cat, you know, a sick kitten, you know. Somebody coughs or, or sneezes around me, I will catch it. I will catch, catch there the bug. There were warning signs already. There were. And I was always breaking out in hives and rashes, mm. right? Uh, I, I think I showed a photo to you yesterday, last night, right? About my yeah, the right. rashes on my back. This was how bad it was, right? But yeah. I ignored those signs. I mean, I just felt like, okay, rash law, rash law, maybe I'm allergic to certain food types law. That's it. Then I just take an antihistamine and then that's it, right? But then I will keep breaking out in hives and there were physical manifestations of the level of stress that I was putting my mind and my body under, except I brush them off and I say, ah, no, nothing. I don't feel stressed. I'm so happy. I feel so fulfilled. Yeah. So what happened was when I went to New York with a bunch of friends, to be mm. on vacation, mm. um, what happened was I fell ill before the trip, right? And I was so ill and I was still so busy, you know, going to investor pitching sessions and meeting people. And because I was going to go away to New York for about a week plus, and then after that, I was going to do Vancouver for another two weeks. So the trip was going to be quite long. Mm. So this is usually what happens when you juggle so many things before you leave on vacation. Everybody wants a piece of you. Right. So I ended up just being like sliced in a hundred different pieces and I was just doing so many things. I was multitasking, you know, I was like burning myself down to the ground, all in preparation for a leisurely trip with my friends in New York. So then I got ill and I I I didn't get to see the doctor until about five to six o'clock the day before I left. I finally dragged myself to see a doctor. When the doctor saw the state I was in, well, I was just I just caught the flu, but it was very bad. Okay, the doctor actually said, don't fly. You're in no um, position or shape to fly. You're very bad. But then I said, cannot. This trip is very epic. I want to go and we're going to catch Madonna in the Yankee Stadium, you know. So I want to go and meet my friends and I'm going to go and Vancouver and whatever. <laughs> then I say, just give me a bag full of meds. I said, just <laughs> knock me out, right? And then I will get better there. So right. the doctor said, okay. So give me a bag of meds. So what I did was when I was on the flight, Luckily, I flew business, so I had a proper bed. So the flight from Singapore was nonstop to New York, and I just kind of like took all the meds, and then I just knocked myself out okay. until I reached New York. And then I woke up, and then mm. I arrived, and that was when something was wrong with me already, and I didn't even know. Okay, so it was a combination of the drugs, and I was unwell, and also like I was my stress level was just through the roof, and I didn't know. Right. So when I woke up and I landed in New York, I observed that everything around me was monotone. It was just grayscale. There was no color. Literally. Literally. There was no color. It was just black, gray, and white. Okay? So I remember asking myself, like, since when did New York look like that? But how do you feel? I felt very numb and muffled. Like, my senses were dulled. Like, Mm -hmm. very muffled. But you were not feeling depressed yet. No, I was, but I was feeling very weak. I was feeling very unwell and I was feeling very anxious. Mm. The moment I touched down, I was very anxious about making my way to the hotel so that I could see my friends. Yeah. So I remember then at the airport, I jumped into a yellow cab okay. and the driver was a black guy. 
mm-hmm. and he was huge and muscly and I was so so scared of him I I started to have mini anxiety episodes in the taxi thinking wow. that I was not going to be able to last the trip I'm not going to make my way to the hotel I'm I'm probably going to end up being mugged or killed and I had all these hallucinations and my mind was kind of getting fucked. The fuckery already started. Mm-hmm. I looked out the window. I was like, why is why does New York look like the fucking Gotham City, like Sin City like that? It's grey mm-hmm. and black, you know? It's scary. Yeah, it's scary, right? So then when I got to the hotel, um, unfortunately, they were doing renovation. So it was very noisy, right? Mm. So there was an overload of the senses as well. I was very uh, affected by the knocking and the drilling and everything. Put my bags in the hotel room. Didn't see my friends. So I kind of messaged her. I said, where are you guys? Mm. They said, oh, we made our way to Times Square. Come and meet us at Times Square. Okay. So that was then another wave of anxiety because I, I felt like I didn't know how to take the train. You didn't know how to take the train? Yes. And then I kept telling them I didn't want to go out. I didn't know how to get to Times Square. And this is it like... anxiety speaking already. It was anxiety speaking, right? I was scared, right? I was very scared and I felt helpless and I didn't feel like I was equipped or well enough to actually go to the train station, find my way around the train station, hop on the train, get to Times Square and find my friends. Mm -hmm. It felt like a very daunting, impossible task. So your breakdown, where did it happen? Okay, so basically... Cut the long story short, a lot of those mini waves or anxiety attacks just kept coming day one, day two, day three. And increasingly, as each day passed, I couldn't keep my foot in my system. I just kept throwing okay. up. Even right. it got to a point whereby even when I drank water, I threw up. Oh my God. And then you know in New York, right? When you go into all the deli, everything is very yoni. It's yeah. all the burgers and the fries yeah. and the hot dogs, right? Yeah. And when you're not well, what do you want to eat? You want to jia mue, right? And you want yeah. to jia the... Guan Tou Cai Xin. Asian restaurants in New York. Mayo. So the closest I could get was like chicken soup, but it tasted so yucky. Oh, so I was my my system was rejecting everything that I put in it already. But then uh, when I didn't eat, I still continued taking the drugs. Yeah. So it was very oh, bad, right? Evil. Yeah. It was terrible. And then, then fast forward to the major day. The major day was when I was so unwell. I told my friends, I said, you guys just go ahead with your day itinerary. I'm just going to stay in a hotel and rest up. Right. Okay. So I rested up with empty stomach, but just a lot of meds in my stomach, right? Mm-hmm. Then what happened was um, I started to have anxiety attack. And then I, I was very harassed by the renovation going on in the hotel. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at this air conditioner... A unit that was kind of retrofitted into the window pane. Okay. You know, that kind. Right. And it was rattling and shaking and causing a lot of noise. And right. at that time, I already lost my mind. Okay. Now Ooh. I can tell you at that time, I was already not me. Okay. Okay. So I was already kind of being driven by my amphibian brain. For some yeah. reason, my prefrontal cortex was not working anymore. Right. I had no intelligence. I looked at the aircon and I wanted to push the aircon unit down. Okay. And I wanted to, I told myself, I wanted to jump out. Together with the aircon unit because I was so fucking annoyed. Huh? Yeah, very hard, right? Makes sense. It doesn't even make sense, right? So I just wanted to jump out because I wanted relief. I was so harassed. Why didn't you do it? So what was stopping you? Well, I think it was divine intervention because I I had a sliver of a few seconds where I caught myself having that nasty thought. Mm. So I was watching my brain. Right. right at that moment, a slight sliver. Still a little bit of mindfulness. Still. And I think it was because the universe wanted to save me, right? Okay. So when I caught myself thinking that thought, 
that was when I kind of, that was the first time I told myself, I need help. Mm. So, so I said to myself, I need help. Then you need help. I, because I was freaking out already, right? So yeah. I went and quickly took uh, my handphone, my iPhone. Yeah. And I wanted to call uh, someone to, to help me, like call home, you know, call my mm. best friend or call my partner. So what I did was when I look at the iPhone, I stared at the unlock button that was flashing and I realized I didn't know what to do with the phone to unlock oh it. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So the unlock button was just pulsating. Okay. Mm. And I looked at it and I didn't know what the fuck to do with the phone. And you I know, freaked out. Really disconnected. Disconnect already. Yeah. Right. Eating putzai Yeah. So I, I, that freaked me out further. So it's like the resistance again, all coming in. Right. So the anxiety, this big explosion just, you know, just keeps building and building and building. So what I did was I said, okay, I'm not, I don't know how to use a digital phone. Let's just go to the uh, analog phone. There was a hotel phone just right next to the bed, right? So I can call the concierge or receptionist and say, please help me. Yeah. You know, I can't breathe. I don't know what's wrong with me. So yeah. I took the phone, okay? I took the 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 hand the, the receiver up and then I stared at the plethora of buttons on the phone and I didn't know how to press the buttons. <gasps> Gosh, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very gosh, right? Then I was like, yeah. then the next thing was I saw the laptop that was on my bed. Mm. And at that point in time, uh, my um, uh, I my, my my messenger or my FaceTime was calibrated so that when I open my computer, it automatically connects. Oh, okay. So that I knew what to do. So I just flipped open my laptop and I got connected on FaceTime. Okay. And my best friend, Kenji, was at the other side of the messenger. Mm. And he checked in and he was like, Beep. he was like, hey, how is uh, New York? You know, are you enjoying yourself? Whatever, no. Lifesaver. That was when I was yeah. like, help me. I need to You're fucking get out of here. Yeah. I'm not well. Something is wrong with me. Mm. So it was in that call that um, they... Uh, it, the people in Singapore started to buy a ticket for me to get out of New York. I decided I didn't want to do any more of the trip. I need to come yeah. home. Yeah. So once um, I realized that I'm coming home, my anxiety retreated. It just disappeared. Mm. It was like a ghost that kind of uh, it, uh, uh, possessed me and then it left. Yeah, okay. And then I found myself again. I was okay. And then I was coherent again and I was like, oh, I'm going home. Oh, so you knew how to use your phone again? Yeah, that I was fine. So my motor skills, everything came back, right? So that was that yeah. night, okay? It was a big episode. So when my friends came back to the hotel room, I told them what happened to me. Yeah. And I remember I told my friend John, I said, hey John, I think I'm very unwell. So this is what's happening. I'm going back to Singapore. I'm not doing the rest of the trip. I will mm. watch Madonna with you guys. Then I'm going to leave. I'm not doing Vancouver. Mm. So, you know, my well-meaning friends, you know, they are not trained. They don't know how to handle such situations that were very delicate. And I look fine. You know, I kind of like, you know, ping-ponging between fine and not fine, fine and not fine. Yeah. And I kind of downplayed how how um yeah. bad I was feeling because they kept telling me, yeah, stop thinking about work. Don't work so hard. Mm. Don't stress really. Don't stress really. Yeah. So I just yeah. tried, okay, Lord, don't do so much work. Don't stress. Try and disconnect. Don't think about work, Lord. Okay. Mm. So that was that night. Next day, woke up. I was fine. Okay. Right, we went to watch Madonna, and then I had an anxiety attack at Madonna. I didn't watch the concert. I only lasted all of two songs. <laughs> okay, then when we finished yeah. the concert at the Yankee Stadium because it was huge, I had another wave of anxiety attack there that yeah, night. Okay. But then I told myself it's fine. I'm going home. Okay. Mm. Then the last day, uh, that was when uh we went to the Guggenheim Museum. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. So my friend said, let's go to Guggenheim Museum. And I went out with them because I thought, let's not just stay in the room. Okay. So when I was in Guggenheim Museum, I was fine one moment and then I was not fine the next. So I was just looking at the art pieces that were on the wall. I okay. remember looking at them and still laughing together with my friends saying, you know, so I was just laughing, laughing, laughing. I was fine one moment and the next moment I knew the ceiling started spinning. Oh, okay. okay. It was like a vortex. Then I was mm. then I then I black out. Okay. It just came like that. Okay. Yeah. So that was what happened to me. That was my experience, right? Yeah. Uh, ceiling turning around, blackout. That's it, right? And then and next thing I know, it was a blur. It was just fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. I was back in Singapore. But oh, ooh, you don't remember the flight? I back. don't. It was just snippets. I remember kind of transiting in Frankfurt. Mm-hmm. But okay. you alone? I was alone because that was the only flight. I was packed back on an emergency flight. My friend sent me, packed all my things and sent me to the airport. Oh, and then okay. they asked someone to take care of me at the counter because they couldn't even get another seat to fly back with me. It was a full flight. Okay. So what happened was my friends, from their perspective, they said that I went his- I was hysterical in the Guggenheim Museum. Right? So when you were blacking out, you were actually doing all this stuff. Yeah, I didn't black out in Fena. I was shouting and screaming and wailing and I threw up three times in the Guggenheim Museum. And they said that I went into the projector room. It was another small room within the room. There was a projector room because they were uh, showing a noir film, a black and white film. Mm-hmm. I went in air screaming for help, mm. looking for my friends, right? Okay. I just screamed. Uh, then they said I was incoherent. The only thing they could hear me say was, they said I kept saying that and no matter what they said to me I just replied 我要回家, 我要回家, 我要回家. Okay. and they said that they thought I was possessed yeah okay many months later <laughs> when I uh, when I was seeing my psychiatrist and I was on meds and I was on therapy I told them this was what my friend said happened to me and this was what my doctor told me yeah my doctor said that basically my whole system was so stressed, it decided to shut everything down and they put the human computer into sleep mode. Mm. So I was alive. The computer was going, but it was surviving on very little resources because it was so taxed. Right. If, if you just work it anymore, it's going to explode. Okay. Is that you didn't feel stressed at all? I didn't. Yeah, because I had no. You didn't feel it, but I your didn't. Body, it was building up inside. It was building up so much, and I had no way of knowing because my matrix. I didn't. I wasn't calibrated in a way that I could understand stress. I, yeah. I felt it was normal to feel that kind of level of adrenaline in my life. It was nice. I right. interpreted right. it as like, oh my god, I'm thriving. Right. So right. I was reading the signs totally wrong. It was a mm-hmm. misread. So the reason why I said 我要回家, was because my brain decided that that was the only message I needed to put out to bring myself to safety. So, the, you know, the, sub, uh, the unconscious is pretty smart, right? The subconscious mind. Subconscious mind, yeah. Yes. It knows exactly what you need. Yes, so that was the thing that could bring me reprieve and solace and comfort, which was 我要回家, right? Mm. And that was what the brain, the, brain, the brain kept chanting, like I was possessed. So when you went home back to Singapore, right? How how was it like for you before you went to see a therapist? Okay, so when I was back, I was obviously very high strung. Um, I had physical problems, like I would wet my bed. I was incontinent, mm. okay. uh, so that freaked me out. Yeah, uh, there there weren't many 
like bed, bed wetting uh, incidences, but that was what happened to me. Like, I think my system was just not... Yeah, it's haywire so that I would just release my, my bodily fluids like that when I was in bed. That freaked me out because then I realised I was very unwell. Mm. I also realised that my thoughts were racing so fast, but I couldn't articulate. So I was kind of like slurring and tripping over my own words. Mm-hmm. When I was in therapy session, when I was working with my therapist, I realised that when I try and explain things, I would lose certain words. I would talk over myself and I would be incoherent. Right. So that was that. So that was the state I was in. And I was so exhausted. I was exhausted and I felt like I was defeated. And I felt like this was it. I have seen the bottom of the barrel of Daniel Lim. Do you at any point feel like it was hopeless? Like you were never going to get better? Um, I felt that I... Um, okay, so I felt I surrendered. I didn't feel like I was hopeless and beyond fixing. I But I felt like I have surrendered. I have to surrender. I have no choice. I'm defeated. That's it. I waved the white flag. Mm. And I didn't understand what went on. Like, how the fuck did I go from there to here? Yeah. Right? How long did it take for you to get to a point where you could say like, okay, I'm better now? Um, so, well, my whole recovery process was about six months. Six months. Six months, yeah. It's pretty fast. With medication. Um, okay. And halfway through my uh, uh, recovery, I decided to stop the meds because I felt like it helped with my anxiety attacks, but mm. it also dulled everything else. It muted all forms of feelings and emotions. And wow. me being someone who really needed to feel vitality, that was mm-hmm. like a death sentence. Yeah, it, it felt like I wasn't myself. So I was like, no, yeah. no, no. But it was also during the half time already, like recovery. And I was given a lot of tools by my therapist, Corinne. She's a guardian angel. She's the mm-hmm. best thing that ever happened to me in that period mm-hmm. of my time. And she yeah. literally saved my ass. La. She did. So she gave me a lot of tools so that we could build the resilience and also be able to manage all the attacks and the uh, emotions and whatever and make sense of things using the self-development tools, using the power of the mind mind because the mind is a very powerful thing just at the front part uh the mess was just in the beginning because i really needed on your feet right yes it was like a quick like a boost right Right. yeah so then i say half a year because that was when corinne signed me off and said then i think you are ready to be on your own but the work didn't finish because when she sent me off, I didn't even know that was the last ep- uh, episode with her, the last session. How do you feel? Do you feel ready at that point? I didn't. I felt like I was very upset. I was very no. fragile. And she said, I think you're ready. And I remember pleading with her. I said, no, no, no. I, I don't think I'm ready. I, I feel like a big piece of me is still missing. And I felt like I haven't clicked. I haven't found myself. I don't think I'm well. But she mm. said, she said, Dan, you are okay to be on your own. The rest of the work, you have everything that you need right now. And the day will come when everything is going to click. You will wow. know. So that click, right? Because you, you see, the, the uh, medical diagnosis of my condition was mind-body dissociation. Okay. The okay. mind and the body disconnected. So that was the right word you said when, you know, about my episode in the hotel room. There was mm. a disconnect between mm. the brain and the body and the whole self, right? So this clicking means the body, mind and the soul has to come back together again, right? So that was when my therapist told me that when it clicks, you will know. And mm. that click happened when I was eating a bowl of Mi Tai Mak. And, and, then, uh-huh. yeah, and, and the bowl of Mi Tai Mak was the first thing I ate when I came back to Singapore from New York. 
Okay, okay. And then when I had a bowl of Mi Tai Mak, many, many moons later, huh? I found myself click. Like, I don't what? even know how to... I, can I explain to you what happened? But it just feels like a coming together and an alignment. It was like, it felt like the there was inner attunement that was achieved. Wow. So it felt like a click and I felt like, oh my God, I'm back. <laughs> I'm me again. Oh my God. Like that was the feeling I had. Oh my God. And and that was when uh, Corinne already released you. Already. Released me into the world with the tools and everything. And like after that, how how long? Like how long before you? I think it was another couple of months, two to three months. But after I was on my own, um, I I went on this whole journey of self growth, self development, introspection, and I was reading a lot of like you know Pema Chodron. I was reading a lot of like the power of now, the power of the subconscious mind. Yeah, yeah I did a lot of self excavation and self development work. Things that you wouldn't have done if you didn't have this breakdown. No, because then I would still be yeah. thriving and still raking it in, right? Yeah. So, oh my God, what an amazing, amazing story. Right? I think it is. Yeah. And I think people need to know. Yeah. 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 About it. yeah. So, oh my God, we've totally overran. But, you know, this is what happens when I talk about my meltdown. <laughs> you know, I've heard about this meltdown a few times, but it's still very like... <gasps> <laughs> yeah right it still sounds like that right yeah, yeah. right I mean I don't know exactly how how you felt but I mean having experienced a little bit of that that mental disturbance right I know how scary it can be it is it was and when you try to tell this kind of stories to people who have never experienced it they can never understand just how painful it is mm-hmm. you know, it always sounds like okay, like manageable, right? Like when you say panic attacks mm. or like, okay, what? Like what's really so bad? About yeah, so that's why I wanted to give time. Whenever I explain my meltdown, I always feel like I don't want to gloss it over with a few broad strokes because I think it is very important for people to understand how an anxiety attack can kind of ripple out into this huge monstrous thing. Yeah, correct. You know? Yeah. Mm. So when you really just think about it, it was just a very, very stressed mind. Yeah, it was overtaxed. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that a lot of people's problems now, their problems with depression or any other mental illness is really caused by this stress? I think a lot of it, right? Um, yeah. I think very extreme cases, it could, it can be chemical, it can be biochemical. And genetic. Yeah, yes. and genetic sometimes. Um, but uh, talking about more like the modern cases of like modern yeah. depression, like my kind, you know, it's really got to do with the mind, right? It's got to do with the thoughts that we have and the patterns of behavior and the way we think about that's generating a lot of feelings. Correct. Yeah, and and just living life um, out of very poor alignment that's totally yeah. misaligned. Yeah, and I think one of the things that we do when we are not so aware right, of ourselves is that we get kind of yanked by our emotions, mm-hmm. right? Like if we get depressed, we think that, oh, we are depressed, mm-hmm. we get anxious, yeah, so I think one of the things that I learned during my own like self-introspection right, is that your emotions are not really you. It sounds very woo mm-hmm. but you can you can actually look at your emotions exactly. and realize that they don't have to affect you that much. Yes. 100%. Yes, because like, I think there is a... 
there is a higher level of consciousness, right? And this is what we mean by when someone is awakened or woke, right? And the mindfulness practice comes in here because if not, you will be led by the default state, which is your emotions. You're driven by emotions and they consume you and they mm. are the, the things that is like uh, powering all your decisions and all your actions because you're not mindful, right? So you're just okay. driven by that. But if yeah. you're able to watch your mind, watch your emotions and watch the feeler, watch the actioner, you know, the actor, then you realize there's a there's a whole space that's between the way you react and act out and what mm. you can do. Mm. You know, you're watching your mind. You are not your brain. There is something yeah. else that can control the brain. Yeah. Right? But if you don't, then the brain is going to take the driver's seat and say, I'm the boss. Yeah. And it's magical when you realize that. Yes. Like there's this peace and calm. And but having said all that, it's an ongoing journey, it right? Is. right? It's not like wow, I'm enlightened already. Um, of course, the work wrong. is never done. You know, I you know we always have to talk about um Michelle Obama becoming. <laughs> <laughs> it is the the state is the constant state of becoming, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think sometimes part of the stress also comes from our desire to be complete, finished. Mm-hmm. Right. We want to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and a lot of the stress gets eradicated when we adopt this idea of becoming. Like at every point, we're yes. always becoming. It's fine. Like it's fine. We will never be perfectly happy and it's fine. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that I remind myself also. So um, I was listening to, um, what's her name? Who's the writer of uh, The Secret Life of Bees? The Secret Two Life of Kid. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she's this writer, right? Super famous, mm. and I think she's like 70 years old now. Mm. I was listening to her, her podcast, and she was talking about how, even for herself, right? She is pretty enlightened, but she needs constant reminders until today, at the age of 70. Of course, yeah. I can't remember exactly how old she is, but yeah, and that, that kind of encouraged me, like, it's fine, you know? I am going to grow old, right? And I'm going to grow old reminding myself. Mm-hmm. It's fine. And that is the state because a lot of people think that, oh, you learn something and then that's it. You know, yeah. you are you are set for life. No, the learning no. something means that you know how to apply it, right? There is something you can use, but the yeah. actual work is the application. So like I said, mm-hmm. it can be simple, but it, it's not easy. Yeah. Right? So even as a coach myself, I have to eat my own shit sandwich all the time. And that's <laughs> what makes someone... Yeah, that's what makes us human and that's what makes us equal and all the same, mm. right? Yeah, totally agree. Wow. <laughs> I'm enjoying this so much, you know, I can go on and on, but we're coming up to an hour and we hope that... Yeah, we're going to wrap up soon, I think. Yeah, we got to wrap up, but we hope that um, mm. this, is, this is a kind of sharing that we want to bring onto the show mm. to talk about uh, our experiences even when it can be, you know deemed as embarrassing and kind of like a bad thing i actually talked as if i celebrate it and this is this is it i really celebrate th- celebrate that episode that i have because it has made me a totally different person today yes it's the same for me also mm. yeah um yeah we're here to grow i think and you just you just can't grow without shit happening to you yeah just- so so guys, uh, we just wanted to, um, you know, share so that uh, we want to let you know, firstly, the life is not a bit of roses. Again, not all unicorns and rainbows, okay? And when shit happens and shit hits the fan, 
yeah. it's what we do that is going to make the difference, right? Like I'm not defined by my past, right? Mm. But I celebrate and embrace because the past happened because it happened already. There's no point in arguing with it. Yep. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so we hope you enjoyed this week's uh, podcast. It's kind of heavy, but I feel that there is um, a lot of um, lessons that we want to share with you and we hope that you um, uh, get a lot of goodness out of our failures, you know, like our episodes and my meltdown. I, if I can nourish someone by sharing the pain that I went through, then I have achieved what I want to with this episode. I think you definitely will. You will. Thank you. Yeah. And I think if anyone has any stories to share, any, I don't know, I'm sure a, a lot of you have experiences. Yeah, with, please, please uh, share yeah. with us and let us know. Yeah, it would be nice to connect and hear about your stories. Yeah, so again, go to litolabs.com slash podcast. That's the landing page for our podcast. Uh, you can get in touch with us there or via Instagram. We are litolabs, right? Um, Rebecca is on Instagram as Rebecca underscore Toe mm -hmm. and I'm on Instagram as Happy Danny Bunny it would be really really nice to connect with you guys so we're gonna end this episode with two songs yes yes um, why don't you talk about your song yeah first? okay so um, the song again I'm not gonna talk about the title but it is a song that um, I really like it's because I'm very Heartlander and I'm very Singaporean so this is a song by a Singaporean and uh, it's a song that I sang uh, in my secondary school in one of my talent time. Yeah. And we won. We won. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. And um, I wanted to share this uh, song today other than because it's nice and it's for nostalgia uh, is because of the lyrics, right? The message behind mm. it. It's about forgetting. Are you going to read it? Um, no. But if you read it, it yeah, will, I don't want. Yeah, they will know immediately what song it is. Yeah. So say my guanzi. Yeah. So I feel that this song is about not being defined by the the past, not being defined by the bad things in our past, and that we have every um power in us to make a choice from now on. We can always mm -hmm. hit the reset button, like reset. What am I gonna do now? What is the one thing I can do from now? Right. And I feel that we have that power in us and that, um, you know, really life is going to be full of ups and downs and the downs make us who we are. So that's what I want to share with people through this song. Nice. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Thank you. And what about yours? Um, okay, so my song, um, yeah, we can't say the title, mm -hmm. right? We can't talk about who sang it, right? Mm -hmm. um, Why so did you choose this song? So the person who sang this, I love her a lot. Mm -hmm. I love her very much. And um, she's, she's, she's no longer here. Mm -hmm. uh, but when, when she was here, she was, um, like a, she was an advocate of mental health, basically. Because mm -hmm. she herself um, suffered from bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the thing about art and music is that whatever that you do, right, it really ripples out and it, affects uh, it influences other people mm -hmm. and I think what she did was that she really put all of her experiences into her songs mm -hmm. so this particular song is about how if you have freckles and you hate it it's fine mm -hmm. it's actually the freckles are what makes you unique mm -hmm. 
they are what make you lovable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you should love yourself despite your imperfections. I think that is quite important for our own mental health. Mm. Yeah, and this is a live version um, that she played mm-hmm. um, during um, an interview that I did with her during my radio show. <gasps> wow. So that was in 2012, so six years ago. Wow. Yeah, so enjoy the song. Right. All right, guys, enjoy the songs and we hope that uh, you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to seeing you next week. Yes. Bye. Bye. Bishangi 桌上有多少不如意可是我必须面对我自己生命你不必存有怀疑桌上有多少不如意可是我必须面对我自己漫漫长夜静听我告诉你
檀香，在墙上写脏话来敷衍你，不然就像脸上走一圈来禁止这混乱。我们翻来又覆去。我也走不太进去，你那无坚不摧过去的围墙。就算我能看得穿，就算透明像月光，回忆又来又去却不散。早上太。璀璨，曾经的遗憾，我不敢去想。哦，爱的那么宽，微弱的